Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, please let me know and I'll try to get that taken care of. Um, you can get a hold of me at embellishpod at gmail.com. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. Uh, I also have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is November the 3rd, and we're going to be talking about Tennessee whiskey. And, and when I think about Tennessee whiskey, I'm not immediately <laughs> singing the Chris Stapleton song. I get one of two thoughts. Uh, Moonshine Distilleries and the Jewel Kitsch Tourism Capital of the State in the Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge area, or Jack Daniels. That, that's kind of the two things that come to the forefront of my mind. But if you pay attention, there's a ton of um, Tennessee commodity whiskey that's going into blends and some of the most sought-after brands out there. And it's also becoming um, this wonderful whiskey geek trope to poke fun at another major distillery out of the state. Before we get too far down that path, um, though, let's talk about some very recent news that has popped up in the last couple of days um it seems like uh financiers uh, investment firms and everybody else is interested in getting into the whis whiskey game um you know we had pritzker Fi uh, pritzker financial that bought into bbc barstown bourbon company picks up um Green River, um, the 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 folks at Widow Jane get bought out. I think Few gets bought out. A whole bunch of people are starting to get bought out. And then this week, uh, we have a big one. We have Wilderness Trail is bought by Campari, um, roughly a six hundred million dollar valuation. They're buying seventy percent of the company with thirty percent to be bought um, in a handful of years, uh, which is I think super smart for the folks at Wilderness Trail because um, maybe the value of wilderness trail increases and so if they're going to buy out the final 30 percent, are they going to continue at the valuation of 600 million or whatever the valuation is at the moment that they're going to buy that final 30 percent uh, or do they have it to just, just kind of sell out to somebody else and you, you may be familiar with campari they've bought a bunch of stuff but specifically they have uh, wild turkey as well and so you know what's the encouraging thing i guess for me is that for uh, the way that they've handled their ownership of wild turkey, hopefully they don't push in too hard on Wilderness Trail either. They kind of treated it with the same way as, you know, we bought this particular brand because of its, of its high degree of success. Its, its success has come because of the people, and so don't touch it. You know, kind of like let it do its thing. You know, there's a reason why we decided we wanted to get into it. And, um, and maybe they're just wanting to make sure nobody else is hanging out in the whiskey space with the uh, WT initials. Um, you know, if that's the case, maybe one of us should uh, take a little bit of money and maybe we start up our own whiskey brand called Wild Trek or something like that. You know, we can we can all hop out there, maybe pick up a you know four hundred million dollar paycheck in a handful of years. Um, but obviously they've been doing something great. And then uh, falling on the heels of that, Balconis gets picked up, picked up by Diageo. Diageo owns a whole bunch of stuff. Um, no financial details disclosed here, but. Uh, there's some consolidation that's happening across craft and uh, major brands. 
you know, fall, after that, we're talking about um, antique collection. It's that time of the year. Everybody's looking for the, the you know, the William Lou Ruellers and the George T. Staggs and, and all of the, you know, the rare 1,700-year-old whatever. Um, but Buffalo Trace is making some changes to the way that they allocate. And I've noticed at least a handful of uh, medium-sized channels that are now being left um, out of their allocation. So uh, the only thing that I would kind of push out there is that if you are a mid-tier craft distiller, now is your time to get a whole bunch of, of, of airtime. If you've got a special release, kick it out to some of these folks that aren't getting their normal allotments of BTEC. And I guarantee you can get a lot of free advertising and free, free publicity. Um, and if it's really, really good, maybe uh, there's some... Uh, some some press and publicity that they can feed off of that. You know, it's, it's a really, really good opportunity for some folks to do it. And obviously, I'm not one of those uh, types of, of channels or podcasters. I don't do a ton of reviews, do a lot of you know brand education because that's the thing that's interesting to me. And I don't have a palate that's strong enough to, to do reviews. But you'll catch occasional one um, on my Instagram or something along that lines. Um but like I said, it's, there's some great opportunity out there for some some mid-tier to craft distillers that are doing interesting things out in the marketplace with a lot of people being left out in the dark or out in the cold with uh, no access to things that they've had access to in the past. Um, and you know that it's not a lack of product availability. It's more of a business decision that Buffalo Trace has made, and they're more than welcome to make that. That's the thing that they're allowed to do. Um, but, you know, we'll kind of see how that plays out for them. So... For tonight's episode, we're going to talk about Tennessee whiskey, and um, we're not actually, I'm, I've, I've got six bottles, we're going to drink through a few of them, maybe I'm going to do a little bit of uh, Halloween pairing, I've got some Whoppers, which are my, you know, kind of my favorite non, non-mainstream non candy, Whoppers can be considered mainstream, but it's not something that you're normally going to pick up in a gas station, you might be at the movie theater or whatever, um, but we'll just kind of see which one of these six particular brands that are Tennessee whiskey brands. We're not necessarily drinking Tennessee whiskey um, because one of the things that will stick out there, you know, Tennessee whiskey for me uh, is not significantly different than bourbon. You know, the, the, there's this discussion around the Lincoln County process and whether that makes it bourbon or not bourbon. Um, but realistically, um, in most or a lot of international trade agreements where they start um, standardizing definitions across countries, Tennessee whiskey has been defined as bourbon in a lot of international trade agreements. And so it's basically the same thing. They, they just have an additional process that they go through to call it Tennessee whiskey, where it's Lincoln County. Lincoln County is that charcoal filtration process to kind of put in there. Um, and I think there's one exception for Pritchard's, uh, for, for uh, Benjamin Pritchard's um, process, but you know, th that's neither here nor there. And so we'll, we'll talk about some, some bourbons. We'll talk about some Tennessee whiskeys. Um, and we might even talk about a, a, a single malt kind of a process here, but um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple big name brands out there. The Jack Daniels. We're not talking about them tonight. Cause if you know about Tennessee whiskey, you know about Jack Daniels. Um, not going to talk about uncle nearest, which is another Tennessee whiskey, mainly because we already have um, not going to talk about uh, Nelson's Greenbrier distillery, uh, mainly because hopefully sometime this month, they will be joining me for an episode. They're going to hop on. And the Nelson brothers are going to hop on. We'll talk through some stuff, taste some of their new Nelson brothers um, stuff. And, you know, I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. I actually toured the distillery really, really quickly after they opened just by chance. I was able to pick up uh, a single barrel 
Um, this was before I started collecting whiskey super, super heavy. So I just picked one up because it was good. And then I continued to nurse that for as long as I possibly could because um, they got found real fast. And of course, you know, their distillate at that point in time was coming from Indiana. Um, but they have their own Tennessee whiskey line as well now. But we're not going to talk about them much more tonight because um, we're going to talk about them some more later on. We've talked about them before. We'll talk about it again. So same thing with Uncle Nearest. I'm sure we'll talk about them again. Jack Daniels doesn't need me to talk about them. Everyone in the world knows who they are. Maybe we need to talk about some of their other stuff. But um, the first one of the night, and it's going to be probably the most nefarious or most ill-reputed Tennessee whiskey that's kind of on the market right now, and that's Dickel. Um, and Dickel, if we're looking at the state of Tennessee, if you know where Nashville is, um, it's southeast of Nashville a little bit, closer to Manchester. And so if you're a big Bonnaroo fan, you know exactly where Manchester is. Uh, maybe Dickel's an opportunity for you to visit. If you were wanting to go to Bonnaroo, you can you can hit up Dickel and go down to Cascade Hollow and see that. But Cascade Hollow has been um, operating, sorry, Cascade Hollow Distillery, which is where uh, Dickel is made. It's been operating in, since the late 1800s. Um, it's been around, it's been a staple of the state for a very long time. Um, but obviously uh, it hit, uh, it hit some, some rocky patches um, during prohibition because if I remember correctly, prohibition in Tennessee started um, nine, 10 years before prohibition in the United States specifically hit. And so if we're talking about, you know, prohibition becoming federal in 1919, 1910, um, they have a statewide prohibition. Um, so they were able to continue to sell their cascade whiskey as a medicinal spirit, um, and using, um, distillery equipment, um, at the Stitzel, Stitzel distillery in Kentucky. And then, um, you know, they kind of weathered the storm of prohibition and prohibition, if I remember correctly, in Tennessee also lasted longer than it did um, as a federal law. And then, you know, they kind of moved down the path a little bit. Uh, new distilleries get kind of built and they push out. Um, Kentucky is greater. Kentucky's greater than Tennessee. Uh, you know, uh, so I've got uh, what I assume is going to be Scott from, from Bourbon Lens in the, the commentary here. Um, depending upon what you're talking about, you very, very well may be true that Tennessee is greater than Kentucky. But um, kind of going back to this conversation, George Dickel is Cascade Hollow is a, is a source for a lot of commodity whiskey that's going into some pretty premier brands. If I think about, um, you know, and they never name the dist. Well, some people don't ever name the the distillery because of. Um, NDAs and, and a host of legal reasons, but we feel we as whiskey nerds feel fairly confident that there's a lot of dickle that's going into to blends with barrel, um, with Sweetens Cove, with a handful of other places, and it has its place. Um, one of the other things that's super beneficial that I really like about them is that you can regularly go out and find 15 year old dickle whiskey at a reasonable price. And if you're not a person who um, gets super bent out of shape over um, some degree of minerality, then, um, you're going to be okay with it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a really nice aged, um, delicious pour, at least in, in my mind for a reasonable price. And so it's, it's, it catches a lot of, of, of crap, but it's a, it's a really good place for some folks to go out and pick up some, pick up some aged distillate, distillate, try it out. You know, a lot of people are picking it up and putting it in their blends. 
Um, obviously, it's got something going on. You know, they, they, they've been around for a while. They've got something kind of um, pushed out there. And then for the rest of the list that we're going to talk through some Tennessee whiskeys, we're going to we're going to talk about probably a lot more craft distillery. Um, and if you think about the state of Kentucky, our craft revival probably started a handful of years earlier. And we're at the place now where we have the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail is is booming. And then you have a Kentucky Craft Bourbon Trail, which is a smaller portion of that. And Tennessee's finally getting to the point that it has its own bourbon trail or whiskey trail. Sorry, Tennessee Whiskey Trail. And that's if you want to know anything about the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, um, there's a website and I put it in here somewhere and I don't know where it is now. But I think it's like TennesseeWhiskeyTrail.com or something along that lines. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the, the comment section of this. Um, but you can find a host of other distilleries. And some of them are going to be centered pretty heavily around Nashville, Tennessee, because that's one of the premier tourist spots for the state. If you're... Um, Within driving distance, you've probably been to Nashville. Uh, if you've been a part of a bachelorette party, you've probably been to Nashville. Um, it's the woo-woo girls. Uh, if you fly in and out of Nashville at all, you'll 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 see what I'm experiencing. So right outside of Nashville in a town called Nolansville is a distillery called Wheeler's Raid. Wheeler's Raid is a small distillery that, that um, kind of began as a passion project in 2016. And so we're only in 2022 so we're talking about six years here so obviously they're gonna have um, some some younger whiskey that's going to exist um, but what they're doing is you know obviously it's picking up a name for a civil war battle that occurred in the area um, uh, but it's just more of an homage name there's no there's no like you know Tennessee lore story that kind of goes into it but it's at the point now where I've had two separate bottles of this and um, their distillery specifically has a series of bourbons, right? And so they've got their original blend bourbon and they've got a French oak bourbon. Um, and if we kind of go back to that initial conversation, Tennessee uh, whiskey and bourbon are largely the same thing. There's not a significant difference between the two. Um, the they also have some rye and they get into some limited availability limited availability stuff cask strength rye cask strength bourbon double oak bourbon double barreled rye honey finish which you know was kind of all the rage toasted rye honey rye i think i had a sherry finish from them and they just recently underwent a, a, a bottle slash branding change but the one that i have is a sort of a square bottle with um it's a square bottle and it's got, you know, some older design to it. It's got that 06 that it looks an awful lot like the front of a Jack Daniels bottle. But they've moved to something a little bit different. It's a smaller craft distillery, regional, regional, regional footprint. It's the only distillery in that town, but it's on the trail. And they have a ton of offerings that, that are available to you. And it's you know, sort of kind of a really good place um, to pick up some, you know, Tennessee whiskey and then staying in the, in the same, uh, geography, there is Leaper's Fork Distillery and Leaper's Fork Distillery is another small craft distillery. Um, it's in Williamson, Williamson County about the same time frame. So we're looking at, um, 
Wheeler's Raid, Leaper's Fork, and a handful of other people that are starting to kind of gain interest um, in, you know, kind of crafting and creating whiskey. If you think about the folks at uh, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, they're not too far off of the same time frame. Um, that's when a lot of people were picking up interest, um, you know, kind of riding on the coattails of the bourbon boom. But they're you know, kind of sticking to Middle Tennessee being, you know, small batch whiskey production and um, trying to reestablish Tennessee as one of the four main whiskey making regions of the world. Um, and, you know, I think I think they're probably right in that statement is that if you were to look at Tennessee and Kentucky, there's not a ton of difference in the water and in the um, farming practices as far as what's available. You know, southern Tennessee gets a little drier and more clayish, and you might see more cotton um, in west Tennessee. But when you get into central Tennessee and east Tennessee, you're still going to pick up your corns. You're going to pick up all the same types of things. And so there's nothing preventing them from being a whiskey powerhouse, um, you know, except for maybe this necessity they have of trying to differentiate Tennessee whiskey from bourbon. Um, and rightfully so. You know, they want to kind of put their own mark on it. Um, but it's the this Leaper's Fork low volume, low impact concept of production. Um, they do a hundred percent of their own stuff. They haven't been doing any sourcing. They're maxed out at like 25,000 gallons of whiskey annually. They got a Tennessee whiskey, some bottled and bond stuff, cask strength stuff, and then white whiskeys and, and, and rye. And obviously for rye, that one gets a little more problematic because they're obviously picking their rye up from somewhere else, right? Because Tennessee's not known for its rye growing qualities, um, nor is Kentucky. You know, if we're getting rye, we're buying it from some northern state. Because rye is, if anything, in the state of Kentucky or Tennessee is going to be a cover crop. Someone just happens to put down. Um, and then staying... For one last time, um, one last distillery that we're going to talk about in the Nashville area is going to be Corsair. And Corsair, Corsair, I think, is probably one of the more interesting. I'm actually going to save drinking that one until last because what I actually have from them is a triple smoke, which is going to be uh, an American single malt whiskey that's been smoked, you know, obviously. So it's going to have some pretty strong flavor to it. But it actually, this is a distillery that began sort of in Kentucky, sort of in Tennessee. It was founded in Bowling Green um, and became and, and decided they wanted to shift into the Nashville market. And, you know, the distance between Bowling Green and Nashville is not very significant um, if you're looking at it from an interstate uh, concept. But if you've ever had many of Corsair's things, they are, I don't know how to really describe it, but it's, um, if you know anything about Nashville, if you know what Nashville was like about 20 years ago, I think this is a brand that epitomizes what Nashville is like. It's a little bit edgy. It's a little bit um, pre-hipster hip. Um, they kind of do their own thing, and they have this just kind of wide variety of things that they've made over time. And if you were to go to the distillery right now, you're going to try to find triple smoke, you're going to find a dark rye, and you're going to find an American gin. Um, and then they do barrel-aged gins. In the past, they've done absinthe spiced rums. Um, just a ton of different, really, really unique things. Uh, if I remember correctly, they did a quinoa whiskey at one point in time. Um, but they were, you know, kind of highly lauded by, um, foodie wine type people, 
um, whiskey advocate. They're going to be picked up by a lot of people as a very, very niche, small distillery. Um, and if you ever go visit um, Nelson's uh, Greenbrier Distillery at the other end of the same plaza where they are is a location for Corsairs. Um, now, I did find some information that they're actually um, in the process of picking up some additional land to um, make a larger distillery. They're actually going to be uh, trying to shift up to like a 24,000 barrels per year capacity, um, kind of grow out what they have as far as size. Because I think right now that they're, they're – capacities at about a thousand barrels a year and they're going to you know <laughs> increase that by 24 times effectively and so um cheatham county which is still staying in that same nashville area but it's it's a unique thing and, and if you can pick up any of their um distilled products they're they've got some unique things going on they've got a um, really really unique situation and then Shifting to the next one, moving a little bit away from Nashville, moving to, you know, kind of the southeastern portion of the state a little bit. Um, and, you know, uh, Scott has already hopped on this for me and said, you know, Chattanooga whiskey. Chattanooga whiskey um, is in, obviously, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it's, you know, Chattanooga has a rich distilling uh, history. They actually kind of began their process in 2011. And if you find some people that were following them early on, there's a lot of people that, um, didn't necessarily care for what they had at that point in time, but as with any new craft distillery, you got to find your identity, got to find your flavor profile, and you got to have the time to be able to to lay down some distillate that's going to stick around for a while. Um, and so they really didn't begin crafting their um, own bourbon uh, until uh, you know, like a malt forward kind of bourbon until 2015, and then they kind of moved into what they're calling a Tennessee high malt um, in 2019. And then they just sort of explode with exper experimental batches. And, you know, so I've got a, a cask strength uh, whiskey of theirs, which is absolutely very malt forward. But um, if you look at their Tennessee high malts, there's a, you know, straight, right, straight rye malt whiskey, um, straight bourbon whiskey. A host of different things, but they're experimental. Experimental batches are the place where you can kind of find some real significant differentiation uh, in what's happening, you know, the things that other people weren't doing. And so if I go to their website right now and I look at current releases, I see a Muscatel and Sauternes barrel finish, a bourbon barrel gin, Appalachian grist, and that is um, grain that is going to be exclusively sourced from the Appalachian Valley growing region. Um, and so the Appalachian Valley is going to be the mountains that are right there in and around um, eastern Tennessee, northern Georgia, um, western North Carolina. You know, the Appalachians kind of run up into, into Kentucky at that point. And so they're running rye, wheat, and uh, rye malt, wheat malt, and bourbon. And so they're actually picking up rye from that region, which is incredibly difficult. There's mint fused, there's uh, mint infused, sorry, there's mint infused whiskey, um, Nocino, which I don't even know what that is, Aquavit. Um, there's just a ton of unique things, a tequila finish, if I remember correctly, I think they did an absinthe finish, um, rum, coffee, mead, maple syrup. And so some of these are going back 
to times before everyone else was hopping on these experimental batch finishes. And that's kind of been their thing is they, you know, kind of got their legs underneath them and making some really, really solid um, bourbon and, and whiskey in, in the state of Tennessee. And then they said, all right, let's, let's, let's go out and try out these experimental things. And being a smaller, smaller distillery allows for that. And it, you know, they're on batch 27 of their experimental batches, but because they're smaller, they can do these one-off experiments and see, you know, is this going to work? Is this going to be unique flavor? And then they kind of move on to um, the next thing that kind of comes along the way. And so um, it's it's something that they're doing, right? And and I think that there's, there's a lot to be um, talked about with what they've got going on. And then, then one of the last ones that we're going to talk about that I think probably has a one of the most significant potential futures is going to be one of the newer players in the Tennessee whiskey game. And I'm not saying Tennessee whiskey in the fact that they are a Tennessee whiskey only uh, distillery. They're making other things. Um, and the fact that I don't know that we're drinking anything that they've actually distilled yet. And so, the 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 last one that I'm going to kind of kick over and talk about in the state of Tennessee is going to be company distilling and company distilling is this brainchild of a former Jack Daniels um, employee, um, master distiller of Jack Daniels, did a handful of other things. Um, decided that it was time, you know, after, you know, 10 years of work and eight new products in Jack Daniels portfolio, which may not sound like much for somebody the size of Jack Daniels, but for a company that, um, at least a lot of these legacy companies are very hard pressed to start up new lines, new products, new concepts, because, um, you know, Jack Daniels is Jack Daniels. Why, why would we make anything else? We can continue to be incredibly profitable. So, um, Jeff steps out and decides he's going to leave Jack Daniels and um, kind of do his own thing. He wants to, to 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 make his own whiskey, and you know one of the things that he's he's looking for is that he's finishing in maple, uh, which you know doesn't really change a ton of things. Uh, that flavor profile it might change a ton of things. It does change a ton, ton of things as far as classification, um, but. he decided that he wanted to make his own brand and so um kind of kicked it off and looks to be putting a distiller together in townsend and townsend you have about you have maybe four regions in the state of Tennessee. You have West Tennessee, which is going to be Memphis. Then you have uh, Middle Tennessee, which is going to be um, Nashville area. East Tennessee is going to be around the Knoxville, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area. And then Chattanooga. It's not even really a region. It's just a southwestern tip of the eastern region. But it's its own unique city. And so Townsend sits right next to the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area. And it sort of feels like the place that people that are tired of the kitschy shit that exists in Gatlinburg are starting to shift into. So they have your ability to get a decent cabin that's kind of in the woods um, on the side of a mountain where you can go and spend a fall or a spring weekend 
maybe you have a hot tub, maybe you go eat something unique in the area, but you're not stuck in touristy trafficy things. You know, like if you drive into Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, you see a Titanic ship sinking on the side of the ground and a building that's upside down because they have all of these dinner theaters and experiences. And it's this, it's a, it's a unique experience. Everybody wants to, you know, a lot of people go there. You can call it the redneck Riviera or whatever you want to call it. Um, but Townsend is just west of that, and it's maintaining this small mountain town vibe. Um, and that's the only thing I can think is that when they're trying to identify a location where they want to put their distillery, um, they're going to have some scenic vibes. You're going to have uh, a huge availability of tourism. But it's also in a town where they're not having to deal with the things that come from Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Nashville, Memphis, Knoxville, like all of those being major metropolitan, moderately major metropolitan areas, they're going to have a lot of things to deal with. And so, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing to put a distillery in Townsend. I think it's going to be, you know, kind of an interesting, um, interesting selection. I want to see what they've got going on. And obviously their, their whiskey that they're currently using um, is really good. It's obviously not anything that they distilled unless it's something that he picked up that he distilled himself when he was at Jack Daniels. He's able to pick this up. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but you know, they've got a 90 proof, um, 90 proof whiskey. That's, that's sitting on the shelves every day right now. You can go out and kind of buy it. Um, That smoke is apparent. So those are the, the when we're talking about, like we're talking about Tennessee whiskey and we're talking about um, kind of differentiating from Jack Daniels uh, specifically, but not being afraid of Dickel, but then there's still this whole other world of things. And um, I only talked about the brands I talked about because I have some of those bottles in hand and because um, there's a few that I left out mainly uh, for a handful of reasons. So if we talk about Blue Note, um, Blue Notes up and coming distillery slash brand out of the Memphis area. Um, hoping to have them join me for an episode here pretty soon. So I don't want to talk about it too much ahead of time. Old Dominic, which is going to be the Old Dominic line or Hewling Station. Haven't had any other whiskey. Can't really talk about it a ton. Nelson's Greenbrier. I've talked about them before. I will talk about them again. And hopefully sometime in November, um, the Nelson brothers will be joining me. Um, we'll run through an interview, have a you know series of conversations, and maybe it'll be interesting. Um, and then there's Pritchard's. And Pritchard's, I think, is is kind of becoming my, very specifically, my white whale of whiskey. I have um, a coworker who has been after a bottle of Pritchard's Double Oak for as long as he knew I was into whiskey. And so every time I'm out and, and in the area, I'm looking for it. And it appears that it might be at a distillery only release that is only going to happen every, you know, fifth year on the third Sunday in February. If, if the moon is just right, you know, it's just one of those things that's not available, but it's a really, really small boutique sized distillery that does a ton of other things. Um, Old glory which is in Clarksville, Tennessee, is within driving distance of here. And so I've got an episode that I'm working on for that. Um, Pennington Distillery, which does Davidson Reserve. Um, they have a bunch of stuff. I've got that bottle. I haven't been able to taste it yet. I, and I'm kind of working my way through it and figuring out what I want to do with them. And then more recently, Nashville Barrel Company. If you are into single barrel selections, you know who Nashville Barrel Company is. This is not a new name for you. It's not a new concept. And... 
Um, they've really kind of blown up in the last nine months, 12 months or whatever. Um, the only thing, the, the main reason I'm not talking about them is I think that they maybe have outstripped as far as their pricing. They may have outstripped um, the value, at least in my mindset. You know, it's incredibly popular. Everybody's clamoring for one, but I just don't know if the price meets the the quality. And, and that's me speaking from not having a bottle on hand of um, natural barrel company. Uh, you know, I've had tastings at uh, several different places and there's n- absolutely nothing wrong with it, but, um, it's almost like a limited allocation or a limited, limited allotment, um, bottle that's available for people. Everybody's out there kind of clamoring for it. Um, and maybe it's, they understood inflation before everybody else did. And so they priced appropriately. I don't know. It's just kind of off my radar for the moment. Uh, also, because I'm generically trying to avoid the state of uh, the city of Nashville, just because it Nashville is not built to to handle the amount of people that live, commute, and tourist themselves in that city. Um, you know, they've got a lot of growing to do, and I have a very distinct feeling. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a wedding uh, outside of Nashville in a small town, and I was talking to one of the uh, locals to Nashville. And he and a bunch of people that live in Nashville have this idea that what's going to happen is that the lack of Nashville's ability to get its infrastructure up to snuff for the size of people, um, the lack of their ability to do it quickly is going to put them in a position where people are going to start leaving as they're finishing these projects. And so they're going to finish a ton of these infrastructure projects, but the population is not going to be there anymore. And so it's going to be really easy to get around, but it's also going to look maybe like Detroit for a little while where you know, uh, people are leaving in droves and going to other states. And a lot of people are going from Nashville to North Carolina now. It's just this this weird migration of people that are sort of happening. But rambling at this point, 35 minutes, we've covered a whole lot of content. And so kind of going back, Tennessee whiskey, it's just a straight whiskey that's produced in the state of Tennessee. Most of the time it aligns with bourbon. Um, but there's also going to be Tennessee single malts. There's going to be a ton of different things that are happening in the state. Um, it, while there are a lot of people who are like, oh, Tennessee whiskey's got a minerality to it. It's not necessarily the case. You know, we, we just outlined aside from George Dickel, which some people feel like it's bad and some people don't, um, you know, Wheeler's Raid, Leaper's Fork, Corsair Distillery, Chattanooga Whiskey, Company Distilling are just a small smattering of distilleries that are in the state of Tennessee that are making great whiskey day in and day out. Um, you know, it kind of, it, it's, it's getting its own namesake. And then um, Nelson's Greenbrier is, is helping lead that charge, but you know, you can't give them a ton, a ton of credit because their flagship brand, which was Bell Mead was largely sourced whiskey. Um, now they did start making their own Nelson's Greenbrier, Tennessee whiskey, um, but that's not their premier brand. They're still sticking with their sourced bourbon, which is fantastic. And I think that's their bread and butter and what they should stay with. Um, but it is drawing some attention to the state of Tennessee. And so um, that's all we've got for tonight. Um, thanks for tuning in for this offering of the embellished podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you are consuming this on. Um, Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media, Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. And give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can also be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.